Welcome to FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. I'm Kevin Hines. FitSpeak, the podcast, is available on Podbean, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and our website, which is www.fitspeak.com. We're also alive and kicking it on Instagram. We have pictures of all things triathlon and fitness related. Check it out. Tell us what you think. We are at FitSpeak. And we're also Facebook friendly. The latest links to the coolest things in multi-sport, plus conversations to make you think about why you try. It's FitSpeak on Facebook. FitSpeak is brought to you by Wenting Cycling Mission. And here is your Wenting's word of the week. It is BMC. Mention that word to Bruce or any one of the staff members at Wentings and you'll win a prize. It's just that easy. Once again, your Wentings word of the week is BMC. And we're also brought to you by TriToy, the spirit of multi-sport. With spring already here, it's time to build that fitness in the great outdoors. Whether you're hitting the trails, the roads, or the lakes to get your fix, TriToy can help. We can maximize your training time with structured and motivating sessions that will get you to the finish line with a smile on your face. It's TriToy, the spirit of multi-sport. Well, we know working out with a training partner or friend can make the miles go by more quickly and make your sessions more enjoyable. That is, if you're evenly matched. Coming up on the new top five list, Abbotsford Triathlon Club's Mikey Ross has a list of suggestions for you to ponder before heading out with that somebody new. 45 minutes of Olympian-inspired FitSpeak begins right now. Our next guest, one of Canada's most incredible athletes of the past quarter century, born in Maple Ridge, but really kind of made a name for himself out in Mission, a multiple Olympian, world champion, Canadian world, uh, Canadian and world record holder, and our only guest to have his mural painted on the Mission Rec Center. Welcome to FitSpeak, Brent Hayden. Hey Kevin, thanks for having me. So Brent, uh, what was the Hayden family household like growing up? Was that in Maple Ridge or Mission? Oh, uh, that was in Mission. So yeah, like as soon as I left that hostel in Maple Ridge, um, you know, went straight to Mission. That's where my uh, where my parents parents raised us right from day one. Um, no, like it was a pretty. Um, I want. I don't want to say like. It, it was pretty easy going like, I mean, my, me and my sister, my parents had some, like all kinds of uh, activities. But I think the thing that um, people kind of get surprised of that, I, at least I never felt, like I don't want to speak for my sister, but I, I really felt like my parents never really put us, uh, put pressure on us to perform and succeed. They just, you know, were happy just giving us the opportunity. And, you know, the best thing we got was we got to go out there have fun and make friends and then that was a win it was mm -hmm. um like so I, I was kind of i sort of felt free to sort of choose what it was that i wanted to do what about your mom and dad were they athletic at all hey my dad he, played, he used to play football back in college okay. um yeah my mom i don't think she ever did any sports like i, I still remember her doing you know her aerobics classes back in the 80s, you know, like those 80s style uh, aerobics, uh, you know, with all like the neon leggings and all that. Like I still have that sort of mm. vision of my mom back back then. But uh, 
But yeah, no, other other than that, like they weren't uh, they weren't really into into sports at all. Mm-hmm. So growing up in the eighties, early nineties, any sports heroes or heroes of any type? Because you've got a wide range of interests. Yeah, I think um, like I, I really got inspired by the local athlete stories uh, from Mission. Mm. Right, like I, I would spend a, I would spend time after practices some days hanging out in the little uh, Hall of Fame, which was off yes. the main concourse. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. I remember the, the old leisure center there. Right. It's yeah. that little like a uh, octagon shaped room. Yeah. Um, and I, I would just read the stories of, of the athletes in there. And uh, there were two swimmers in there. There was Gary McDonald, who was a silver medalist in the Montreal Olympics on the relay. Mm. And then there was uh, Ryan Lauren, who was the 50 meter freestyle uh, record holder. Um, and Gary actually was a 50 meter freestyle record holder um, as well. So like, I would just be reading these stories and kind of, uh, I guess, getting inspired um by them because you know if if they were able to do this and they came from the same place that i'm coming from then why not me right 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 mm-hmm. yeah so um i mean i come from saskatchewan yeah. and it's not swimming you know you but it's it's all about curling like the the world yeah. champions come from this curling rank and you know a few hockey champions but yeah in mission you know walking through the leisure center there there's that little nook with um the mission hall of fame and and those were the people who tended to inspire you they happen to be swimmers you weren't always a swimmer i mean you got into the pool and you like me didn't have an exactly amazing entrance to the world of swimming you like flunked twice or something yeah i failed swimming lessons twice uh, like um the way i understand it from my um my parents was uh the first time i was just scared of the water i just stood there with my nose above the water just bawling my mm-hmm. eyes out and they just couldn't get me to do anything um the other time was like i was basically a distraction for the teacher because <laughs> i just wouldn't i just wouldn't pay attention and i was literally would just be stopping my uh, the teacher from being able to teach the other kids, mm. right? So it's like I just couldn't do it in that group setting. So my parents ended up um, hiring um, a private swim instructor, and so got me into one on ones, and mm. then eventually from there. Uh, they just signed me up for the swim team, which my sister was already um, a member of. Okay, so you had kind of your sisters paving the way, and you kind of followed followed in her footsteps. Um, but you were yeah. saying a little bit earlier, you were exposed to a lot of different sports, and I know you had a pretty good yeah. run as being a runner. Uh, what was it specifically about swimming that appealed to you? Um, I think, one, I, I, I love the water. Right. Um, my parents, like, I, I feel very lucky. Um, you know, a lot of kid, I realized you know, as I got older that, like, when I was younger, like, this seemed very normal for me that my parents actually built an in ground pool um, in our backyard. Wow. So, so in the summertime, like, I was, I was constantly in the water. Like, you know, we'd go camping um, as well. Like, we'd, we'd go camping at Winthrop every year. And, like, I would always be out in the lake uh, swimming. So it is just, it was just my environment. Right. But like, you know, I was doing uh, baseball. I was in uh, mm-hmm. soccer as well. I did, um, you know, basketball back in uh, elementary school. And I, I think combining my love for the water with the fact that I also felt free to make mistakes in swimming, because if I made a mistake, it didn't impact the team. Ah, right. If okay. I had made a mistake, it just, it only affected me. Mm. Right. So that sort of, um, was that I, I just felt more free. Um, mm in swimming in a way, right? Like I, I was constantly worried about 
how I was going to screw up and let my team down uh-huh. when I was playing baseball and uh, soccer and basketball. Like even in, in basketball, like I remember like <laughs> not catching it. Like there was a pass that somebody gave to me and like I told like a ball bounced off my knee and went down the corner in the wrong direction. Uh-oh. Like it was like it was it, it was just heartbreaking. Uh-huh. Like, and, I didn't and, score and- a single. Ba- <laughs> I never scored a single basket. Uh-huh. Right. I scored one in an exhibition game against our girls team. So I never actually scored a basket in any of our actual official games. And like, oh, yeah. (laughs) And and the fact that you can remember it with a a great degree of passion and emotion, I just, you know, talks about. Oh, yeah. I still remember him throwing the ball at me. I'm like, I was wide open. I was like, yeah, I just, I went to catch it, just went right through my hands, bounced off my knee and down the court. I was like, oh, my God, it was just like heartbreaking. Wow. So when we talk about swimmers, I mean, it's a multidiscipline sort of sport. I mean, it's not, you know, I come from a triathlon background where we do the breaststroke if we're kind of tired or we're regaining our senses after being kicked in the head. But you have to swim breaststroke, butterfly, which is kind of a, a weird sort of stroke that people get pretty fast at and along with the other two strokes um was there any stroke in particular just when you got started that tended to appeal to you more than others yeah i actually thought i was going to be a butterflyer that's the um, like i mean i wasn't winning in any of the strokes for for a long time um like you know i think one of the uh, things that actually helped me as, as an athlete was that we actually had, um, in my age group, we had the fastest kid in the province. Or, you know, we're just talking about it, like within the summer club league mm. with this kid, um, like he was really fast and he was breaking records and like literally like everything. And so I was always uh, chasing him ah. and in but butterfly was the one event I probably, I think I started sort of, um, excelling at first. And that's the, that was the event that I started winning that I, I, finally got better than this other uh, kid. Uh-huh. So I, I thought I was going to be a butterfly. Yeah. Um, you know, but eventually, uh, you know, just, just because you won at one thing doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to be better at that. It just means that you were just better than everybody else that was in that pool at that time. At that right? time, which is so critical. I mean, at the age, I mean, um, young athletes are developing in all sorts of ways and mentally, physically, uh, and all that. So you happen to be at the right place at the right time, capitalized on that. And the success kind of paved the way for a future career in swimming. Yeah, when absolutely. do you think things got kind of serious? I know you were doing some crazy drives out to Chilliwack, and I know mission athletes are still doing that drive, you know, leaving here at 4.30 in the morning to get that morning swim in in Chilliwack, and then coming back to, what, junior high school or high school and then doing. But uh, how old were you at the time when you were doing that kind of crazy stuff? Yeah, that was going into grade 11. Okay. So I so. And it's interesting because a lot of people were telling me that it was too late to start taking swimming seriously, that I'd kind of missed the boat. Wow. That, you know, right? Because like mm-hmm. most people, most, like a lot of swimmers, I would say the ones that are successful, they've probably been doing it for a long time, right? Like, I mean, like seriously for, for, for quite a while. Yeah. Whereas I was still kind of like, you know, doing, uh, you know, doing other things. You know, I had picked up karate. Wow. Um, I was doing water polo as well, which just seemed like a good crossover uh, sport. So grade 11 was the first time I really decided to specialize in it. And people like, were just believed that, you know, I wasn't going to have the the foundation training uh, yeah. to be able to do that because I'm go- I was going from swimming uh, five one-hour practices mm-hmm. a week yeah. to expecting to be able to do nine two-hour practices a week. Yes. Right? Like, 
like that is a like more than a hundred percent increase. I don't know what the exact number is off the like um, you know with the math in my head, but yeah. like that that is a dramatic increase. And on top of that, you know, waking up at three thirty in the morning and leaving at four mm. because I'd be at the time I was on deck at four forty five in the water by five, and then having to yeah like you said drive back to Mission to go to high school at right. uh, Hatsik Secondary, uh, or at least it was a secondary school at the time. No. Um, that, that that was tough. But, I mean, uh, a, a late start like that, it can be a double-edged sword because, I mean, you take a look at, you know, your typical swim club kid who gets into it at an early age, six years old or seven years old, and they're already put on, in quotes, the fast track. And by the time they either make it or break it, they're in grade nine, and they don't want to smell chlorine again. Yeah, and like for me, I, I feel like a lot of athletes that get pushed into it like seriously, you know, when they're in that kind of training, they don't get to learn how to have fun first. Yeah. Whereas in summer club, like, you know, it was fun, right? Like we had, we had a swim meet in a, another small town around the Fraser Valley, like every yeah. weekend during the summertime. It's like you hang out with your friends and you go do a race in between. Exactly. Right. Like, like that's, that's what it was. And, but in, in this swimming, like, you know, performances are, are, you know, like you need to perform, yeah. right? Like every me is like, you gotta, you're trying to get like your, your time standard so you can go to this new competition, like mm -hmm. qualifying for this and that. There's like, other than regionals trying to qualify for provincials, you're just showing up and just like, whatever, like mm -hmm. it, it's fun. Yeah, I was just gonna say this. Like, I feel like a lot of swimmers, they probably burn out. They probably had enough um, by that point. Mm -hmm. You know, they just, they never learn to just have fun with it. Yeah, and that's what a weekend is for as long as they can remember starting off at an early age. So you sort of had the benefit that way. You were a bit more mature. You had a bit more life experience, even though you were in grade 11. You had, a, you know, you had some time to sow the wild oats per se and even, you know, 15, 16 years old. So then you were able to, to perhaps commit on a more serious level and certainly for a longer term. Yeah, yeah. I think it also allowed me to kind of... Um, allow me to discover my own fire rather mm. than feeling like I've got, you know, somebody pushing me yeah. you know, and being like, you can do like, you got to do this. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So if uh, you can talk to our listeners who have seen the mural in the mission pool and are listening to the podcast, we traditionally talk to a lot of long distance athletes, ultra distance. Uh, you're our first pure swimmer and one of the best on the planet. How did that path take you from swimming in mission to the start of your first Olympics? Just a couple of the highlights that you can share with our listeners. Like I made that decision to start training in Chile because that was the only team around that trained year round, right? I mean, um, there was, a, a, you know, there's either basically Chilliwack or Maple Ridge or Langley. Um, and I knew that, you know, like I mentioned, um, you know, Ryan Lauren, the swimmer that was from Mission, he went to Chilliwack. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm if that's the route he took, then I'm, I'm going to go the same route and I'm going to go to Chilliwack uh, as well. And, you know, I did that for grade 11, grade 12. Um, I was able to uh, get into UBC and they have one of the top swim programs in Canada. Um, I, I had, I actually had scholarship offers down to the States, but there was just something that was just telling me to, yeah. um, just to go to UBC. And it's funny because like, I think Tom, who was the, uh, the head coach at UBC, he was like, out of all the coaches I talked to, he was probably the one that seemed the least interested uh, in recruiting me. Yeah. <laughs> or like, um, SFU, um, uh, recruited me pretty hard. And then like, I remember there was like UNLV, uh, Michigan, um, even Calgary, University of Calgary Dinos, mm -hmm. uh, they were 
they flew me out there for a recruiting trip. And basically my coach, um, Vince at Chilliwack, you know, he organized a lunch meeting uh, with Tom. And I, I remember Tom sitting down and it was actually uh, between a uh, swimming meet session out in Richmond, right? The fog and suds um, mm-hmm. off the, um, off the, uh, the highway there. And he just, I remember him looking at me and he goes, I don't know anything about you. I'm like, <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> that kind of like, whereas I guess, other I guess people it was courting you to flying you out. And yeah. 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 Like UNLV was calling me like, I remember every Friday Wow. for like a month, right. At trying to get me to, uh, to go down there. Um, he had, uh, he had coached a lot of, uh, Canada's top swimmers. And I was like, well, that, I think that's the program, uh, I want to go. Mm-hmm. And so I, try to convince him as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up coming out to a practice in Chilliwack uh, one day um, to watch me train. And he would ask me to do random things like, all right, just try doing this and then try doing this and try doing that. And so I think he was, uh, he was testing my coachability, uh-huh. right? Seeing yeah. how well I applied direction, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's that was actually what solidified him uh, his willingness to um, to bring me into the program was not based on how good I was, mm-hmm. but um, how coachable. Um, yeah, because yeah, he doesn't want to take somebody who's pretty fast and then not be able to do anything with them mm-hmm. if, if you see room for improvement, right? So, yeah, yeah and then, sorry, and then uh, yeah, from there it was like yeah, you know, I was within one year with him. I was on the national team and the Commonwealth Games got two bronze medals on the relays yeah. and then off to Japan that same summer, uh, broke my first Canadian record. Um, three times I broke it in the heats, the semis and the final and almost got onto the podium, but we got more medals on the relays and then uh, world champs and then mm-hmm. straight next year and then straight into Athens. Yeah. Now, Athens, what a what a mixed blessing that was uh, or wasn't Oof. a mixed blessing at all. So there was, of course, you know, the, <laughs> the so-so performance and then what I've got listed on my notes here, the Athens incident when you got injured. Uh, what the hell happened there? Oh, man. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was it, uh, just an insane, unfortunate, wrong place at the wrong time, right? Like, uh, the swimming competition was done uh, for a week already, and that's one of the benefits to being um, a swimmer at the Olympics is, you know, because the Olympics go for two weeks. The mm-hmm. swimming is done in the first week. If you're lucky, I know not all countries are get to do this, but in, for the Canadian team, they allow us to stay in the village for the for the next week and kind of take in the Olympic experience outside of our own competition, right? So we can, you know, we can get tickets to go to other sporting events. We can, you know, go be tourists and explore Athens, right? Um, and then there's a lot of, you know, like after hour events um, as well. So we were, you know, we were out late one night, you know, just having fun and we were walking down the street and we came to um, an intersection and we looked down the, around the corner and, you know, it was just like, just like, it was like you're walking through a crowd of people that are out, have, you know, having fun at night. And we looked down the street and there's just this line of riot police in full riot gear. Whoa. We're like, we're like, that's weird. Mm. (laughs) Right. Like that doesn't look good at all. So we were, we kind of like scrummed and we're trying to like, kind of like, okay, well, where should we go? Like, what direction do we need to walk in? Cause like, you know, we've never been in Athens. We mm-hmm. hardly know which direction we go. Neighborhood. We, you know, we usually ask, right. We usually ask people for directions. Um, yeah. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have smartphones. We couldn't pull a map up on our phone. Right. right? And next thing we know, um, the, 
a bunch of people like the locals just started turning violent wow and took towards the police uh -huh. right so obviously like the police were there because you know they got word that something was happening so i don't know like if there was like chatter um somewhere i can't really say social media because like social media wasn't really a thing um back then not not um, at athens no no but it's like you know it's 2004 like facebook yeah. like barely existed right mm. I, I just remember like them moving dumpsters from the sides like out into the middle of the street like creating these barriers and then picking up rocks and balls like garbage whatever they could find and they started throwing it down at the police so right away like the police started firing back so you could hear like rubber bullets getting fired um you could hear the sound of like tear gas uh canisters like i only know these sounds because you know these are the sounds that i've I've seen on TV, like right, I've seen yeah. on the news, I've seen the movies. I've never experienced this before. And yet, right? you're in the middle and of just, this. Yeah, and just suddenly that fight or flight response, ah. right? And we just bolted. Hmm. We just ran out of there. Um, and we ducked into an, into a doorway just to get out of the street, right? Because you don't want to get hit by a stray rubber bullet or something. Like, you know, we didn't do anything. So we weren't trying to, like, yeah. get away. We were just trying to find a safe place. Hmm. So I duck in this doorway and like everybody else is doing the same thing. So like this place is just getting uh, crammed with all these people trying to get out of the street and, you know, trying to seek safety. Uh -huh. And next thing I know is this hand reaches over my shoulder, grabs me by the shirt and just yanks me out into the street. And it was one of the uh, officers one of the, from the riot, riot police. And I just got thrown face down into the street and beaten by four or five um, police you know, with their batons and wow. steel toed boots. Like I'm in, like I'm on the ground and I'm covering my head with my arms and I'm just screaming like I'm an athlete, please like yeah. please don't hit me. Mm. I had my accreditation um, in my pocket and the lanyard was attached to my belt loop. Yeah, because uh, you cannot lose that thing. Like that is mm. your passport. That's your lifeline. So you lose man. that. Yeah. Like yeah, like it's like losing your passport when you're off, you know, traveling in, in you uh -huh. know somewhere. Like you're in a lot of trouble. Um, so I reach in my pocket with one arm, so I'm still protecting my head with the other one. I hold it over my head for them to see that I'm an athlete because it says, you know, it's got the big Athens logo on it yeah. and everything. And they ripped it off. Whoa. Like ripped it, just ripped it right off my lanyard and tossed it aside. Luckily, oh. one of the other athletes I was with saw that yeah. and picked it up off the ground. So I, st I still have it. It's all like mangled up. Oh, wow. They just continued to beat me. So while I'm protecting my head, mm -hmm. my elbow got, got cracked, like took a big um, hit. I actually thought they broke my arm. Wow. Eventually they just, they stopped hitting me. I just put both arms behind my back. I'm like, you know what? Just, just cuff me. Yeah. Just right? assume I, the position. Right? Just, right? just yeah. cuff me. Just mm -hmm. stop hitting me. Yeah. Um, they cuffed me. I remember getting uh, lifted up. You know, they grabbed me by the handcuffs and like lifted me up. Uh, so I, I can still remember like, you know, the, what it felt like to have the metal cuffs digging into your wrist as, oh. as you're being lifted by them. It's not comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then getting pushed down the street. And this other officer, he walks towards me and he's, he yells something Greek at mm. me. He spits in my face Whoa. and then he punches me in the groin. Just, and you're, you're bound. I'm, I'm, I got my hands behind my back, yeah. my hands, like I'm, I'm being held yeah. with my arms behind my back by another officer. Wow. Right. And, um, yeah, they pushed me down the street. Uh, like I'm kind of getting goosebumps. Just don't, well, no, uh, right? I don't, I normally don't get into these details mm. when I talk about it. I sort of, I sort of just glance over it. They took me around the corner. There was like a, I remember there was a, like a, like a corner in the building and, you know, by like by a storefront. 
Um, I got thrown on top of these other um, people that had been arrested. And I was there for about half an hour, 45 minutes. And I remember like anytime I was like trying to talk to somebody to find out like, what's mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. Like, you know, I'd be threatened with a can of pepper spray being like held in my face yeah. and somebody like, you know, threatening to spray me. Um, eventually, uh, one of the only officer I could, the only officer that actually spoke English to me, uh-huh. um, just randomly came up to me and goes, okay, you're free to go. Whoa. So, so I was like, okay, well, why, why me? He said, you were tall and wearing a dark shirt. Huh. Right. So, but later I, I found out that, um, one, one of the athletes, cause we all had a, we all were given cell phones with numbers programmed in it. Right. So we could contact, you know, our coaches, managers, um, other uh, like COC, uh, mm-hmm. staff. So somebody had called, um, called ahead to let them know. And they let the RCMP, because um, there were some RCMP with the Canadian Olympic team there. Okay. They, so they knew. They went to the police station to, I guess, um, to intercept me or to find out what's going on with me. And I guess when they showed up at the station, mm-hmm. somebody must have called back and said, hey, if you guys got a Canadian athlete, get rid of him. Uh, because this would have been like a huge international oh, yeah. headline. Yeah. But like back then, nobody like... Phones didn't have cameras. Right. Right. Yeah. And the one guy that had the only camera that night, he had ducked home about, you know, half an hour earlier. Wow. So he wasn't, so we didn't have a camera there. So we had no evidence, no um, evidence. of this happening. Yeah. Wow. I just had, I just had all my bruises. You could actually see the yeah. marks, the grooves from the batons Wow. in my, in my skin and not to mention like the handcuff marks and everything. And, you know, we went to the embassy, made statements and mm-hmm. everything. And uh, the Greek, Authorities just came back and said it was a peaceful demonstration with no arrests or injuries. End of I, story. I still, re- I still remember that statement. Wow. Even though we had statements from all these other athletes that were there and they all corroborated what it said. Um, Greece, birthplace of democracy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, I almost quit swimming after that. Yeah. I was, I was very close to quitting. But not only did I, um, you know, have a bad performance in the pool, particularly yeah. on the relay, you know, I had that incident. So this was like my life, my, you know, my childhood dream of going to the Olympics. And yeah, not only did I yeah. swim poorly, mm. like I had like such a, like that, you know, whatever yeah. you want to call that. Mm. Um, I just, it just crushed that dream of that. I'd, um, in that I had envisioned about you know, how great the Olympics are. Well, right? yeah, you know, I, I grew up, I grew up watching, you know, amazing, um, you know, you know, like watching these Olympic based movies, you know, like cool runnings, yeah. you know, the cutting edge, mm-hmm. right? Like, so I had, I had this vision of what the Olympics were going to be and what, how I envisioned it for myself. And it just was the complete opposite. And to have worked, you know, I mean, I remember reading your biography there, grade, grade three, what do you want to be? I want to go to the Olympics and be a swimmer. And to have focused yeah. on that for as long as you did and have everything turn out to a point. And then here's the focal point of all this work, all this training, all this dreaming, you know, the mental visioning, you get there and things fall to heck. Um, why didn't yeah. you quit? Why didn't you say to hell with it? Um, I mean, like I got close so many times, yeah. like I would, I'd, I'd regularly, I'd be talking to my coach, whether it was a scheduled meeting or just popping my head into his office before training, like, Hey, I got to talk to you. Mm-hmm. So we got on a, a regular schedule with my, with our team psychologist. 
So I was regular, like once a week every two, or every two weeks going to her office to talk. Um, I would be talking to the teammates I was closest with, um, especially like, you know, the teammates who were there and, you know, right. um, cause one of my teammates in Vancouver was my roommate. Like mm. I remember <laughs> this is kind of funny when I think back on it or right? like, I remember coming, like I got back to the villa that went straight to the polyclinic to get my x-rays, found out that my arm wasn't broken. It was mm. just um, a lot of soft, twitchy damage. Like it actually looked like my elbow was sticking out, out of my skin. Oh, wow. It was like this weird, like singular spot that it just swelled up like crazy. Um, I remember walking into like finally collapsing back in my room on my bed and I just started like bawling oh, my yeah, eyes out. Such an emotional experience. <laughs> I guess he was trying to sleep. Obviously he had no idea what was going on. Yeah. And he goes, dude, shut up. I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> oh. I was like, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like okay, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but like, but obviously like, you know, he, you know, he found out what happened yeah. and, uh, you know, he, he was very, um, very supportive. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, there were days that I would, I would get to the pool and I'd be swimming down the pool and I would just start choking back the tears. And like, I would start like, we'd like, like choking on water and I'd have to pull myself out of the pool because like, oh. I just couldn't swim anymore. Um, right. And it's like, um, how do I say this? I, I, I think through all the talking though, and, you know, and, you know, having the dark thoughts that, that I had, because eventually like people also found out about that incident. And, mm. uh, there was one reporter that actually changed the facts and actually said it happened the night before the relay and actually used what? and said, that's why said, that's why I did bad, oh. um, on the relay was because I decided to go out late the night before swimming. Even though I was like, you know, it was actually a week after. Um, so I was getting all kinds of negative comments and pe people even coming up to me on the street, like walking around downtown, like people recognize me uh -huh. and like basically, you know, said very mean things. Whoa. Um, right. Like I almost got into, um, almost got into a fight on the street, uh, one time. Yeah. Like it was bad. My parents had to take their name out of the phone book Jeez, uh, for the next year because they were getting, um, you know, threatening phone calls. Uh, yeah, but eventually it's like, 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 is this what I want? Um, like, is this how I want to be remembered? Yeah. Wow. Right. Is this, is this going to be my legacy? That's it. Yeah. Right? Or, or am I going to use this, um, as that moment, that place in time where I decide to be better, to create a greater vision of, um, of the person that I want to be. Yeah. Not just somebody that went to the Olympics and, and did well, but some, something like almost like coming back from something um, like that, creating a better story. Um, so that moment kind of became my fire. Mm -hmm. All right. And within a year from that, I you know went to world championships. They were actually yeah. held in Montreal. So on Canadian soil, mm -hmm. and I helped Canada win two silver medals on the relays. Yes. Right. Just one, like that's literally less than a year. Mm -hmm. Right. It was 10 months. Yeah after I thought I was going to quit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the ability, the fire was there and it was uh, verified in Montreal for you and for the rest of the country yeah. and for the naysayers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm looking at some of your stats here and I'm trying to wrap my head around it. So um, you became known as the 100 freestyle guy for a, a lot of your high points in your career. So you went 49.6 
at the 2003 World Championships. Then it says here you went 49 seconds flat at the World Cup in Stockholm. So the difference between a 49.6 second 100 and a 49 flat 100. Can you actually tell the difference when you're swimming? Oh, yeah. You can't. Like, oh, that's, yeah. Explain. <laughs> it's, it's weird, like, because you, you swim, you know, those distances multiple times. You know exactly how many strokes it is, um, you know, whether you're swimming long course or short course. Mm -hmm. you, you develop this internal clock, mm. like, where you can just feel time. Huh. It's... it's 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 really weird, and I, I think that that's something that you only develop over over time, mm -hmm. especially as you start to dial it in. Like we, would, I would be doing a set, and my coach would be like, "Okay, how fast do you think that one was?" Uh -huh. I'd be like, you "No, know, like say like it was just like a, a like you know like an easy effort sort of um, mid range sort of effort." I'd be like, "I don't know." 32 and a half seconds. You'd be like, yep. Yep. <laughs> like, like bang on. Like, like I could, I could actually get it within like, you know, a 10th or a couple tenths of a second, if not uh, bang on sometimes. That's amazing. Uh, that's just when, you know, you're yeah. just like, you're just really, really tuned in, whether you're, you know, easy swimming, mm -hmm. you know, mid, you know, like the jog effort or like all out sprint, yeah. you can still figure out how fast you're going just based on how it feels. Wow. To be that, in tune with your body to you know a hundredths of a second or a couple of tenths is, is just amazing um on your website it said the last result you had listed on your website was for a bronze medal at the 2012 olympics but what was that truly your last competition at that time yeah at that before time. i retired before that you was retired. my um yeah like i did um i did the 50 free you know, at the Olympics right after that, the next day, it mm. didn't go very well. <laughs> I was still like on, on this high from getting the medal. I was yeah. like, um, I, I think just like, you know, being my third Olympics and I finally had a, not just an Olympic final, but finally stood on that podium. Um, I couldn't emotionally come down from that mm. in time to uh -huh. get back for, for the 53. And uh, yeah, just, um, Oh, like I, did, I just remember, like I was like I was in the ready room for the fifty free. Like I was still like on cloud nine. Like, I couldn't focus. Like like okay, I got a fifty free still. Like I just I couldn't get back around to it. Right. Yeah. Um. And then we, but one thing that was really cool though was um, on our medley relay, um, we we were not predicted to make that final. Mm. And when we went, when me and the other athletes um, walked out for that, there was uh, Charles Francis, Scott Dickens, and Joe Bartok. When we walked out, we all knew that there was a very good chance that that was going to be the last time the four of us swim together. Mm, yeah. All right. So we're like, let's just give it everything we got. Let's yeah. swim like this is the last time. Yeah. Right. And let's just make sure we make it memorable. Yeah. There's, there's something right? special um, about realizing the finality of, of a person's yeah. career and the last time you're doing something and that, you know, uh, yeah, cause, cause three of us, mm -hmm. me, uh, Joe and Scotty, we were already like, we had all mentioned that we were probably going to retire after these games. Yeah. Right. I think Charles was the only one that was, um, thinking of still, um, continuing on and we were in the first semifinal. So we swam that race. We went and did our interviews I remember, I remember Scotty's um, emotion during that interview. He was probably the most emotional um, out of us. Mm. Like he just, he's like, he just had no words. 
But then we, after the interview, we walked behind, we had to walk um, behind the dive towers, right, to go, um, that's the route we all had to take. But we were supposed to keep walking, but we decided to stop and watch the clock of the, of the second semifinal, um, the second heat of the, of the relays going. And I remember after they were done, before they put up what the top eight teams were going to be, I remember we were just like, I think we're in. Wow. Like, I, th- I think we made it. Mm-hmm. And then when they, they put the top eight up there, and there we were mm. um, in, in eighth place. Um, and, and this moment, because we didn't know the cameras were actually on us. Oh, okay, that, yeah. That moment made uh, TSN's top 10 moments of the day. Oh, wow. <laughs> our reaction when mm. we saw that we actually made that final and got to come back again that night yeah. and uh and swim swim in the olympic final together alex that was what is ins- elation looking like yeah. yes <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure you if you ever find that video because yeah. I, I don't know if it's online anywhere um but you could very easily read uh <laughs> scott's ah. uh lips as he <laughs> definitely dropped an f-bomb <laughs> <laughs> yep. like it was just it, like just, it was just so happy and like we were jumping we were hugging and mm. it was um that was apart from the metal um being able to have that moment yeah. uh, with my teammates mm. was uh, incredibly special yeah and then that was it mm-hmm. I, I announced my retirement a couple days later at a at a um and an event that was being held at the Canada House where I got to, um, they replayed my race. Um, it was me and uh, Ryan Cochran who um, who yeah. medaled um, as well. So they, they showed clips of both of our races. Uh-huh. They played the national anthem. Mm. Um, my coach got up and talked. And then um, then I got to go up there with my medal and uh, talk. And it was just like, I just realized, like, man, like, this is it. Yeah, wow. Hey. This, the, the, I'm, I'm, this, this is kind of how I want to end my career. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been dealing like, cause I went through a lot leading up to that with my back spasms, um, tr- struggling with depression, um, all year. And I didn't see any solutions to those things going forward. I just, I, I couldn't see me having, um, an opportunity to have, uh, to be able to lead the sport on such a high note. I'm Mikey Ross coach with Abbotsford Triathlon Club, and this is my top five list for FitSpeak. Workouts with friends. Although by and large a lone wolf, who for a lot of reasons prefers to swim, bike, and run alone, I will admit that at times I do train with a friend or two, and they've been great as well. Great, but a wee bit more challenging. Why more challenging? Well, Here are five important points to consider when you do decide to go for a workout with a new friend. Thinking about them first may help you avoid getting into a situation that isn't win-win for all those involved. Number one, do you know your friend's fitness level? Here is where respect comes into play. If you want to maximize your chances of success for you both, find out what your buddy has been doing recently. How fast? How far? How often? Taking a new swim partner on a thousand meter open water swim when they told you they've worked for a month to get to 500 meters is not only irresponsible, it's potentially dangerous. Number two, 
Do you know your friend's fitness goals or race plans? Okay, so you are wrapped up in your goal of a sprint in three months or an Ironman in nine months. Do you even know what your friend has planned? Example, if you discover that they don't train to race but simply to enjoy the great outdoors or the feeling of toned muscles, you may likely be adapting your workout to recognize the needs of your partner. You never want to feel that you were responsible for a friend pushing themselves too long, too hard, or too often. There's enough involved with just preventing yourself from falling into that training trap. Number three, have you both discussed the parameters of the specific workout you will be doing? It's not only respectful, but safer to discuss how far and how fast you will be both moving. Because our egos often get in the way of our brains, don't set yourself up for the disaster of just going out there to do something. It's important to set a predetermined range of distance and time, then be flexible enough to actually stop when your partner has had enough, rather than pushing them to fill your training needs. You can do all that on your lone wolf days. Number four, do you have a plan B or even a plan C? A flat tire with no repair kit, a forgotten pair of goggles, a single running shoe missing its mate can all cause an immediate change of plans for you on any given day. Are you flexible enough to be able to change or adapt your plans or will your new workout friend witness a type A meltdown? Quick tip offered to you, always carry a spare set of goggles and the required gear for two different workouts so that if it happens, you're able to present a plan B or C. The world will actually not come to an end if one workout doesn't happen the way you wanted it to. Number five, are you prepared to accept your new friend as a person, not just an athlete? Even if you've shared a swim lane for years with a friend, or perhaps attended spin classes together in the past, planning and doing a workout just between the two or maybe three or four of you, can be a totally different experience. More time together strengthens the bonds of friendship. It also teaches you what I call friend flexibility. If only forever engaged in jock talk, you are really only reaching one layer. Nothing wrong with that, but I often come away with a new perspective or a shift in attitude because of my worldly discussions before, during, or after our workout time together. So, lone wolves of the world, with a bit of forethought and a mind preset for flexibility, why not try a workout with a friend? For FitSpeak, I'm Mikey Ross. And that's it for another edition of FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. Coming up next week on the show, the second part of our interview with Olympian Brent Hayden. We'll be going more than just skin deep as Brent reveals the evolution of his body through weightlifting and some renovations in the tattoo department. Also on the show, another edition of Mikey's Top 5 list and the return of the roundtable with Roy McBeth and Kevin Watt. Fitspeak is brought to you by Wenting Cycling Mission. Your Wenting's word of the week is BMC. Once again, your Wenton's word of the week is BMC. 
And yes, we're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. Whether you want to get faster or go farther, TriJoy can help. With our low client-to-coach ratio, we can give you the attention you deserve to achieve your potential. It's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. See our link at the bottom of this page. Just a reminder on Facebook, we are your local go-to spot for information and inspiration. Yes, it's FitSpeak on Facebook. And now, at FitSpeak on Instagram. Your place on the internet where you can see what we've been up to, what excites us, and for you to share your story in pictures. Finally, if you're listening to us on Podbean, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, why not drop by our website to see a bit more about the program and maybe leave us a comment on the show or ideas for future programs. For Roy McBath and Mikey Ross, I'm Kevin Hines. Thanks for listening.